Coming up on today's show, the GRL Blog Tour kicks off with author Jamie Reese, and Richard Pearson is here to talk about his book, The Roll. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knaus. Welcome to episode 35 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com. And I'm Will from willcanals.com. Welcome everyone to the month of June, which means Pride Month has officially started. Yes, happy Pride everyone. Um, now, I've seen in uh, some of my social media feeds that people are already celebrating, which is awesome. Congratulations to those who have already gone to their Pride events. Um, hope you had lots of fun, and here is looking forward to um, the events coming up. A whole month of Pride. A whole month. Yeah. We so, live in the boonies. Yes, we do. And our Pride is inexplicably in the month of September. Yeah, not sure what that is. Uh, who knows? I eh, Whatever. Anyway, so happy Pride Month, everyone. We'll celebrate now and in September. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Now, speaking of Pride, uh, one of the things that crossed my Twitter feed uh, over this past weekend, uh, courtesy of Becky Albertalli, uh, who's the author of Simon vs. the Homo Sapiens Agenda, um, Stephanie, who's a YA librarian down in Mississippi, posted a really awesome picture of a, of a pride display that she put up in her library. Uh, sadly, and as you might imagine, because it is Mississippi, uh, she was, well, actually she didn't take it down. There were enough complaints that her coworkers took it down, uh, because the branch manager said it had to go. Uh, very unfortunate, and all I would say to our, to our listeners out there are two things. First of all, I've linked to Stephanie's tweet in our show notes for this episode, number 35. Go to that tweet, give it some love, say that you like it, tell Stephanie good job for doing this uh, in a place where the teens who might need to know about Pride don't necessarily get to see it uh, celebrated. And two, regardless of where you live, when you see a business or an organization putting up a Pride display or doing something that supports the LGBT community, say thanks. Make sure the management knows about it too. Because it's all too easy for the complainers to get in there and make a ruckus. And they don't really know how many people actually appreciate what they're doing. So, of course, they take things, things down like this. So, yeah, that's my pride moment for this episode. Give Stephanie some love. And when you see people taking that moment to support our community, say something. Say something nice. Get your friends to say something nice. Indeed. Indeed. Off my soapbox now. <laughs> Fuck the haters. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I can't, I, uh, I don't know. It's um, so inexplicable to me. I mean, it must be exhausting being such a shitty, hateful human being. You would think, because you're going to go around everywhere and go, oh, I hate that, I hate that, I hate that. Uh, I literally don't get it. So, I don't know. <laughs> They're certainly not listening to this podcast. So, uh, so all of you out there who do, go out and spread the love. Please do. But do take the moment to let these places know so that it's not the haters who outweigh the, the folks who are out there spreading love. Yeah. So Okay. Thank you. Happy Pride. What's um, the update on you and your writing so shenanigans? Good stuff writing going on this week. Uh, you started reading somewhere on Mackinac. I did. 
Uh, I'm expanding Love's Opening Night to do a resubmission. I wrote a, ch a new chapter yesterday and know what the second new chapter is. So hopefully that'll actually get back out there this month. Uh, and I'm plotting. Uh, I was writing on the chalkboard that's on my door earlier this week, uh, some plot for the Hat Trick spinoff. And I've got winger spinoff stuff going on in my brain, which will fill up the uh, whiteboard soon enough. So yeah, good stuff going on there. All right. Time now for the GRL Guest Author Spotlight. We're happy to welcome Jamie Reese to the podcast as part of the official 2016 GRL blog tour. Jamie is the alter ego of an artist who loves the creative process of writing. She has a weakness for broken, misunderstood heroes and feels everyone deserves a chance at life and love. An avid fan of happy endings, she believes endings that are acquired with a little difficulty are more cherished. Thanks for being with us, Jamie. Happy to be here. So tell us about your latest, Amended Man, and the Men of Halfway House uh, series overall. Okay, well, let me start with the series first. Um, the Men of Halfway House, it's a series about second chances at both life and love. And I figured where better to start a second chance in an actual halfway house. So these are men that have pretty much been dealt a crappy hand at life, you know, for one reason or another, whether it's something they did or just a result of life being tough on them. I never make it easy for them, sadly. I, I, wish, I, I wish I could, but I don't. Um, so each story pretty much features at least one of the guys. He's either a resident of the house or he has crossed the, crossed the threshold of the house and that somehow has changed the direction that his life takes. And that leads me to the latest release, which is Amended Man. That's a story of Jesse and Aiden. Neither one of those guys are, res are residents of the house, but they were both very present, present in the series. They were first introduced in book two, A Hunted Man, and you kind of knew that there was something there. Um, there were hints at it in the second book. You really see it in book three, but they just never actually did anything about it. And their story is when they finally take that step because life kind of pushes them to, to take that step. And it's a, it's a very long story because they have both... They both come to the table with very, tra very traumatic backgrounds, and um, it takes them a while to get through each of those things. And I, I don't believe in, you know, having some major life trauma resolved in two to three pages. That just doesn't seem realistic to me. So I actually have the reader go through every single step of that whole mending process. So that's why it's a little bit longer than the others. And some parts are really tough to read, but uh, hopefully in the end it makes it all worth it. The premise for the series is really interesting. Where where did you draw inspiration for this? Well, because we're all human and we make mistakes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I figured, you know, what there there are times when you have second chance you, you really want that second chance at something. Whether it's a chance to say something to someone that you never had a chance to say. Um you know, the, the person you see passing in the hall and you wonder, gosh, you know, may, maybe I won't say anything today, I'll say it tomorrow, and then you never see them again. Or someone who's really special in your life and you just go through all these, you know, you just never say the words. And then sometimes it just seems too late when you actually do get the chance, if you get that chance. And so I'm a real firm believer in what it is that people do when they have that second chance opportunity presented to them. And that's the inspiration for the series. The, these are guys who are just, they just have 
it's just not good for them. I mean, unfortunately, I'm just not a very nice author sometimes. <laughs> I'm, I'm just cruel. I'm very cruel. I feel very bad. I, no, that's the, that's the best way to do it. You have to make them work for the happy ending. Oh, and my guys do work for it. <laughs> they work for it. So the, the question really and the inspiration for the series is, what do you do when you get that rare opportunity of that second chance? Mm-hmm. And that is what each of these guys, you know, it, the, each story chronicles what it is that they do, their journey on what they do. When they have that chance, they grab it, they take it, and they fight like hell to get there happily ever after. Nice. Now... People may not know that you also designed covers as Reese Dante. What's yes. it like shifting gears between the writing and the designing? Um, that's a good question. Tough question to answer, actually. Um, they're both creative outlets for me. So I can easily switch between one and the other, which I find a little bit odd because I never thought I'd be able to do that. But it's just more of a matter of what kind of outlet I'm looking for and it kind of sits my mood sometimes I'll I'll sit and I'll say okay I have all these deadlines I need to work on these covers but then all of a sudden I'm inspired to write I have to write at that moment so if that means that it I'll have to go to sleep at two o'clock in the morning because I have to still meet my deadlines then I do that but it's really weird because it's when the creativity strikes I'm always doing something creative but the question is which one do I kind of steer my focus towards so I mean that's the it's great to be able to switch gears. My only problem really is I'm extremely deadline driven. So I tend to do most, most of my cover work. Um, that grabs my focus probably about, I would say 90 to 95% of my time. Unfortunately, it's, it's a good thing, but it, it's very difficult when readers are asking me when's the next one coming around because I do try and work on it and I never want anyone to think I'm not working on it, but it's just it's really tough. So I've been actually working on a couple of, different things to adjust my schedule to see if I can dedicate a little bit more time to writing because I really do love it. So we'll see. Hopefully I can make some changes in the next few months that will make an impact and help me to release a little bit more. And what are some recent books that people might recognize your, your cover work from? Oh, that's a good question. I do. I do both freelance work and I also do a lot of cover work for dream spinner so if you actually go through their coming soon lists and stuff like that, you'll see some of my work there. Uh, I, do, I do some work for a couple of authors. I don't really want to name authors. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Do you, do you think there's anything that specifically stands out in your style that people can point to and say, oh, that's definitely a Reese Dante cover? That's a good question. And you know what? It's really funny because... People can do that. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what that is, though. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I, I, do know, I do know that there's something that people spot my covers and they can say, oh, that's a Ristante design. And I'm like, what is it? What is it about it? Tell me. Because even, even the hubby tells me, he says, you've got a style. He says it stands out. He can, he'll see 20 covers and he'll say that one's yours, that one, that one, and that one. And he just doesn't always see what I'm working on. And I know that I've gotten messages from people who – actually follow my covers and will buy a book because they see the cover on it. And I think that's really funny. Um, it, it's, it's, it's the kind of thing I'm like, but, but what about the story? What, you know, and sometimes they'll say it's the emotion or something that was captured, which is great because that's what I actually 
hope to do when I'm working with an author, I will grill them. I mean, they can, they can tell you. I asked, it's like a little mini interrogation. I'll ask them about the characters, the tone, the feeling of the story. Because I try and capture all that in what I'm doing. So it's more of like, I don't even know how to explain it. It's, it's like an artistic interpretation of the story. I don't just take a couple of stock pictures and put them together and put some text on them. I actually try and capture some sort of emotion that is translated in the feel of the story or the tone of the genre of that particular theme and try and translate that into the art. I don't know if that always comes through, but that's, you know, what I'm hoping to do. Now, you've been designing covers longer than you've been an author. What prompted you to get into the writing side of things? Oh, um, I would say that that was having a nagging character <laughs> constantly in my head. Uh, Julian from book one. I would say that he is probably, he's the inspiration for the whole series, actually. He... It's weird. You know, I mean, they say, I would always hear these authors saying, oh, I've got all these voices in my head or these characters talk to me. And I would be like, okay, um, I never really, you know, I, I have a vivid imagination, but I just never really saw it that way until one day Julian showed up in my head. And it wasn't just like a passing thing where, you know, it could have been someone that I had met from some other time or something where someone I saw in Crossing, he looked familiar. No, this was someone who just would literally show up every day in the back of my mind and just hover. So it's a good thing he's a great guy because otherwise it would have driven me nuts. <laughs> but literally he was there. He had a story. He, he just was very patient. And he's the one who planted that seed of the, the halfway house, um, giving potential ex-cons a second opportunity at life and love. And it was just him there constantly until I finally said, okay, you know what? I'm going to accept this challenge because who doesn't love a challenge, you know? <laughs> and I'm, I'm really happy I took that step. I, I never would have thought that I would have sat down and, and written a book. I never would have thought that. And we're glad that you did. Um, I, I know that your fans are. Now, now you hinted at working a little bit more uh, on your s trying to schedule some more writing. Is there is there anything that you can like maybe uh, give us a little hint of of what you uh, have coming up uh, next? Well, I'm actually working on the next book in the Men of Halfway House series, mm -hmm. book five, and I've started on it. I really wish I had more time to work on it. Um, and that's the little bit of the frustration that I have because the story is right there. I can, I can see it. It's clear. It's just a matter of actually having the time to do it. I'm going to be taking some time off uh, next month, and that forces me to get off my machine, which means I can't actually do design work. So pretty much I'm going to be setting the stage to say, okay, I'm going to have my laptop with me. I'm going to be able to write. So if the inspiration is there to write, then I will write. I can't force myself to write. That just doesn't work for me. I can sit and I can write. The most I've written in one particular day is 10,500 words, which is, it's a lot. But when the story flows, it just flows. If it doesn't flow, I can't force it because I'm going to end up not keeping anything. But I, I'm, I'm working on that one. And I have a couple of ideas for 
some short stories related to the series, but it's not really something that has pushed to the forefront of my mind. So it's not really something that I, I want to try and explore more because this one is really nagging at me to get written. So that's what I'm focusing on right now. 10,000 words in a day. I would love a day like that sometime. <laughs> that's awesome. It's it, That's the most I've ever written in one particular day. And literally I woke up and I said, I have to write. I, I, I literally got out of bed. I sat in front of my machine and my husband looked at me like I was possessed. And he, he just handed me coffee and he says, okay, I don't know what you're going to do, but you just, you look like a woman on a mission. Just go ahead and do it. I was like, okay. And it was funny because I just, you know, I was at my computer the entire day and he was just like handing me like coffee or like, here, you need to eat something. I mean, it was, it was funny, but that's not how I normally write. It's just that particular day that it was, I had to get that entire section written. And so I know I'm capable of doing it. The problem is I wasn't looking at my email. I wasn't going on Facebook, which, oh my God, there's so much time there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's the kind of thing that if I was like a horse with blinders, that particular day, that's what it called for. So I know I can do it. It's just the inspiration has to be there. Mm-hmm. So, GRL's coming up. What are you looking forward to in Kansas City this year? Oh, seeing everyone again. I love that. I love that. And um, and there's it's it, literally one time in a year when I actually get to see and hang around with people that I meet online or t- or talk to online. And I'm really excited about seeing a couple of new faces there that they've told me, "Oh, I'm going to GRL." I'm like, "Yay!" You know, because you, these are people you talk to on Facebook, and you talk to them for years sometimes and you've never actually met them so it's nice when you actually get to spend some time with them and that's pretty much what GRL is all about at the end of the day my face ends ends up hurting from smiling so much it's awesome (laughs) all right and what's the best way for everyone to keep up with you um, online um from for my author side I would definitely say Facebook I'm not really big on posting like if you check my profile you'll see that unless you see a picture of Rocco my dog my 125 pound dog um, I, I usually don't post much because I'm, I'm a very private person so I don't usually air stuff that I'm dealing with or whatever on a daily basis but um, you know I mean I'm there so if someone messages me, if someone posts on my wall or something like that, tags me, I'm usually looking at it or I'm, you know, on my phone or checking it out or something. I'll respond or something. But I, that's definitely the best way to get a hold of me. I also have a contact uh, form through my website that just shoots me a message. And once I start, once I get that, then I'll just respond via email. But um, those, are, those are the two main places. I also respond on Twitter, but that requires me. I'm a very wordy person. <laughs> Limiting me to 140 characters, that's tough. <laughs> right, right. So I'll respond, but there really isn't much that I can say in 140 characters, so that's a little tough for me. All right. Well, we'll link up to all of that stuff in our show notes for this week. Thank you so much for being here with us, and, and uh, we both look forward to seeing you in Kansas City. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure, and I'm looking forward to seeing you guys. You can follow the GRL blog tour by going to gayromlit.com slash 2016 blog tour. Thank you to Jamie Reese for stopping by. Uh, Please 
continue listening for uh, the next couple of months because we got a whole lot of really great people coming up on the show. Yeah, we've got 20 weeks full to go because there's 20 weeks between now and GRL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So hold on to your hats. Great stuff coming your way. Um, recently, the uh, Coastal Magic Convention posted um, some of the authors. Yeah, the featured authors, I think they call them. That will be uh, taking part in the weekend of uh, February 2nd through the 5th. Uh, and this is coming up next year, 2017. Uh, among the MM writers attending, there'll be uh, Charlie Cochet, Poppy Dennison, uh, Kieran and Kelly, Amy Lane. Uh, there's even, let's see, uh, Sean Michael, Terry Michaels, Damon Swade, A.E. Vi, uh, a whole lot more. Um, yeah, we were really jealous, well, at least I was, um, watching the social media feeds from uh, this last year's Coastal Magic Convention. People uh, seem to be having a blast. Um, we are considering going. Um, it's on our maybe list. Yeah, it's definitely for 2017. So yeah, we go uh, as fans and readers uh, if we end up going to Florida next year. Yeah. So yeah, uh, check out Coastal Magic's website for uh, the rest of the author lineup and all of the great stuff that they have planned coming up in 2017. Yeah, that's coastalmagicconvention.com. Or you can just go to the show notes for episode 35 at biggayfictionpodcast.com for the link over to it. Cool. Yeah. So a, an interesting blog post caught my attention this week, and it kind of leaps off of what we talked about last week with give Elsa a girlfriend and give Cap a boyfriend uh, kind of thing. And this is this is from a, a site called Birth Movies Death, uh, and the post was called Fandom is Broken. And the author there, uh, Devin Farside, maybe? Sorry, Devin, if I slaughtered that name. Um, actually brought up an earlier post um, that ran on AV Club that essentially says uh, fans are now demanding what they want out of the story, believing that the story should be tailored to their needs and not so much the creators. Uh, fans are treating stories like ordering at a restaurant. Hold the pickles, please, and can I substitute kale for the lettuce? Uh, but... They point out that, that 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 isn't how art works, and that it shouldn't be how art lovers react to art. Even uh, it's it's be similar to bringing a bucket of paint to a museum and taking blue out of a Picasso. Um, and they went on to point out because right as this post came out, uh, the Marvel team had released uh, Steve Rogers' Captain America number one, a, a new set of Captain America comics, in that it was revealed that Captain America is a Hydra agent all along, and that that was bringing death threats to the Marvel team because they took Captain America in this new direction and a direction that nobody really knows where it's going to sort out because that was just number one of a new series. And it's interesting to me coming off the, the chat we had about the hashtags last week to, to find this. And it really all tied back to how misery in the Stephen King novel, how uh, Annie Wilkes reacts to the fact that mystery chest was being killed off in a book. Uh, and it's easier to do this now on the internet mm -hmm. and to really just go off on it. Um, what do you think that means? Do the fans have that much con that much say in a? Certainly, once the author writes the story, the story that belongs to the fans. But should the fans be able to customize something before it's even out, necessarily? I think the internet has brought more of uh, uh, dem dem 
there's more of a democratization of pop culture now, and geek culture has gone uh, incredibly mainstream. Uh, I do agree with the final um, analysis in the article. It's that, you know, you can rant and rave and be all crazy pants as you want, but it's not technically your art. You are not a part of the process. Uh, you can love the art or hate the art, but you're actually not part of the art. And I think that's um, uh, what they were pointing out. Mm -hmm. uh, why fandom is quote-unquote broken is because uh, hardcore fans are taking possession of their uh, various fandoms and treating it as if they were the creators and artists. Well, and that's not the case. I also want to point out someone, I read someone else on social media. Um, I think they made a legitimate point concerning this specific article and the hashtags we mentioned in last week's show. Um, the Give Elsa a Girlfriend and Give Cap a Boyfriend um, are really all about uh, uh, inclusion and representation where there hasn't been any before. So that is a very different thing than, you know, saying, you know, kill the writer of the new Captain America comic book. Um, those are two separate yes. issues. Uh, so, yeah. Interesting. Uh, and it's hard to say where it's going to go. I, I, I don't really know. Yeah, and it's... It's interesting. I mean, you know, I, I've seen... Little bits of it, you know, as I was writing Hat Trick, it's like, well, don't let this happen, you know, <laughs> to the characters. And some of it is just minding the trope, which I think is far different than this, too. There's minding the trope and give readers the expectation of the trope versus, you know, death threats for taking something in a certain direction, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this starts to play itself out over the coming months and years, even, mm -hmm. uh, but how that goes. So, let's hop to our, our other author interview uh, for this episode. Uh, I had a great time talking with Richard Pearson about his debut novel, The Roll. Um, I, inter I, I reviewed it a few episodes ago, and that review will be linked up to in our show notes uh, for this episode as well. Uh, but Richard talks about how he came to write this book, um, what parts of it are kind of you know, semi-autobiographical, who, who's among his friends that are in it. Uh, and, and yeah, we had a great time talking. I had a great time talking to him, so let's go to that now. Richard Pearson is a triple threat author, actor, and attorney. Uh, he grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas, where he appeared in many plays and musicals. After graduating from Rhodes College, Richard went on to obtain a law degree from Rutgers School of Law. And while he works as an attorney by day, his nights and weekends are spent writing novels and performing in theatrical events all over New York City. Richard lives in Jersey City with his brilliant husband, Brian, and their amazing daughter, Natalie. And his debut novel, The Role, was just recently released. Richard, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to have you. We're glad you reached out. Um, You've been listening to the show, and then you reached out, I think it was via Twitter, and was like, you need to read this book, because you like theater. <laughs> and sure enough. I know, I was very excited. I was like, oh my gosh, Like, not only do they talk about fiction, but like they're really into theater. They will love it. <laughs> And I, I, lo I did love it. It was just, it was a great read. Um, so tell people about the role. 
Uh, the role is basically a novel that is about a actor who is struggling in the business and he's thinking about quitting and right as that moment happens, he is granted this amazing opportunity where he gets the big Broadway break that every actor dreams of. And what he learns is getting that break is not really the hard part. The hard part is like making it through opening night and his obtaining of the role comes with a lot of strings and it makes him wonder whether or not it's really worth it. So what was the inspiration for the book? I imagine a lot of it was what you, you know, actually, you know, go through when you're performing at these events. These theatrical it is. Events. Definitely. Um, a lot of it had to do with that. I mean, when I was in my early 20s, I had like this whole thing. Like I was like, I grew up, you know, in the South and I just wanted to get to New York City since like I knew what it was. And I thought, I'm going to go to New York City and it's going to be fabulous and it's going to be amazing. And everyone's going to love me. And uh, I did not do that. I ended up going home uh, to my hometown and I got like a job doing something legal, like as a paralegal, and it just kind of stuck. But I always still continued to perform, and I was fortunate enough to finally come to New York City. And I remember going on my very first audition, and I had no idea how it all worked in like the real professional theater world. And I wrote all of these like journal entries about it. And as I like, you know, kind of slowly stopped getting as much work as I used to, um, I just kind of kept like this journal about it. And uh, I became an attorney, and then uh, I had a really hard time getting a job out of law school. And so, like, to keep my sanity, I was like, I'll just write a book. I've always wanted to read this book about an actor on Broadway who's gay, and, like, where is that story? And so I was like, I waited for years for it to happen, and, like, I just realized no one was going to write it, so it was my job to do so. And so, yeah, a lot of it is pulled from, like, personal, like, experience, particularly at the beginning. Like, that is exactly what it is like to go through an audition. Um, I mean, there's a lot of other funny quirks to it. Like, you'll have generally two things happen. You will go to an audition, and you will be in a room full of 20 to 40 people who look exactly like you, which is really funny. Um, or you have the opposite happen, which is... You go into a room where 39 other people uh, look nothing like you, and then you wonder why you're there. So there's a lot of subplots in the novel. There's the primary of Mason getting his, you know, going for his dream finally. But there's all this other stuff going on. How did you decide what to put in and maybe what to leave out? I could, I envisioned in my head like there's like all these DVD extras sitting off on the side, maybe, they didn't make it into the book. Uh, you're absolutely right. There are. Uh, I wrote a really rough outline, and in it, like, I went in through, like, all of the stuff, like, the producer character, who was, like, barely in it, like, had, like, this whole other subplot about how hard it was to fund this kind of a show and that kind of a thing. So, like, that just got cut completely. And I, when I was doing my first draft, like, I wrote like little bits of those kinds of things and then I would realize that like it was just not really helping the narrative progress at all. So then I would have to like truncate them or like cut them entirely. And then uh, when I got done with my first draft, like uh, one of the editors who looked at it was like, well, like your book is really interesting, but like not enough happens in it. And so I was like, oh, I guess that means I can bring out some more of those subplots that I had done. Um, 
Like, initially, there is a character in my novel that is an understudy, and in the first draft of it, that character is never named, and he's, like, this shadowy figure that, like, you only kind of vaguely understand as someone waiting in the wings. Uh, And then people were like, well, you know, I didn't really get this aspect of it. I was like, great, that means I can tell that whole extra part of the story. So, yeah, like, every single one of my characters probably has like this whole other side story um, that goes on and choosing them was really, really hard. Um, And I kind of looked at the major themes of it and like what I was trying to get across. Like you learn a lot about the actress in the show uh, and like what her personal life is like because she has a very different non-heteronormative arrangement with her life partner and since, like, playing with that is a, like, you know, theme in the book that, like, sometimes people have different arrangements in what their relationships are like. So I was like, I wanted to present that story so that all of the characters who are in the novel could see that that was an option and, like, how to do it appropriately as opposed to perhaps not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and both of those actually were, were two of my favorite bits of the of the book. The the understudy in particular had a nice character arc without giving any spoilers, you know, along the way. Um, that story played out really nicely. Thank you, thank you. Uh, he was one of those fun characters that, like, when I decided to like actually let him play his full role in like the whole text. He just kind of popped into my head fully formed, and I really enjoyed getting to write that because I was like, well, like, I thought that it was weird that I wrote a novel about theater that didn't really have, like, the bitchy theater person in it, (laughs) and so I was like, that's not really doing the many, many, many people who I've met uh, backstage and on stage who are like that a lot of justice, like, there's nothing more boring than watching a show that goes particularly well all the time and like that doesn't have that kind of drama. And so I was really excited to get to throw him into the mix. And when I did, it changed so many dynamics and I really, really like loved it. He was, he's definitely like my favorite character that I got to add. And I'm super glad that someone was like, you should add more like elements to make the like overall, like, will he succeed? Will he not succeed? Arc more interesting and I loved getting to add him. He was super fun. Mm-hmm. And you're, you were right about that. I can't think of another book that I've read that makes me feel like, you know, that I was really inside the process for a show of this kind. The only other book that I could think of, um, uh, Tim Federal did, uh, five, six, seven, eight, and the sequel to that. But that was a different perspective coming from the the 13, 14-year-old's perspective. No, I love this book. They're so wonderful. And it was definitely one of the things, like, I remember when I was reading it, because I was, you know, in my late, no, it was in my early 30s by the time I read them. And I was like, oh, where was this book when I was 13? Um, Because I love them. And I was like, oh, this is exactly, like, the kind of kid that I was and that I wanted to be and everything that I was hoping and I was, it made me so happy that that book existed and like I've told him on many occasions like uh on Twitter we're not like super best friends <laughs> I was just like thank you for your book and like he like posted this thing about how he went to an event and like 
one of the librarians was like, well, we don't carry your book because we think it's like evil. And I was like, this book would have like saved me so much heartache in middle school and high school. Not that anyone gets out of those two things unscathed, but like it would have been nice to feel, you know, a little bit like I'm less of a loner and like that book totally like one of those things that you just kind of clutched your heart and love. Um, but yeah, there are not a lot of books that focus on the behind the scenes and like what it's like to rehearse a show. Um, and when I'm in a show, it's like my favorite thing to do. Uh, whenever I go to rehearsal and I come home, like I have to tell someone whether in college it was all of my roommates. Now it's my husband. I have to like come down and like be like, let me tell you all of this crazy backstage stuff. So, and like, it's great for me, but then it ruins the show, whatever it is that I'm in for whoever I have to talk to, because by the time they see it, they know all of this weird backstage stuff, but they have no idea what the plot of the play is. So they're like, I have no idea what you know. And I'm like, I know you don't understand, but like, when you see it, it will all make sense. And they're like, okay, sure. <laughs> so when did the desire to write first hit you? I wrote a lot as a kid, um, just like, I was really, really into like high fantasy, like my favorite book as a kid was like The Last Unicorn and The Book of Three, and so I used to write these like big, very poorly written, because I was like a sixth grader, fantasy epics. Um, and then um, when I, trans I was mainly a musician as a child, like I had a, a really like pretty high voice so I just kind of sang a lot of music and I didn't really act so much. Uh, and then when my voice changed, I had to like figure out what I was going to do. Um, so I like started doing plays and musicals again. And when I did that, writing kind of fell away because I was so focused on doing theater and that kind of a thing. And in college, I did take two, the two only fiction courses that were provided. And at that time, like, I was still, like, I was very out because I'm a very obvious homosexual. But um, I wrote nothing but, like, weird, like, finding your voice gay fiction. And I was super worried about it because Rhodes College didn't have a lot of uh, gay people at it. Uh, and so I was, like... I don't want to be like the gay author of Rhodes College and then all of the people in my fiction group were very lovely and they were like, no, actually we really like that we get to hear this voice because it's not something we get to hear that often. Uh, and so I wrote a lot uh, during college and afterwards and then I met my husband and I was like, and still am exceptionally blissfully happy. And there's nothing worse for a writer than being super content and happy. Because when I met him, I was writing, I would call it fiction, but I guess that's what you call it. It was just like a series of dates that went well with fictional characters. And like, there's nothing more boring than that. And so then I was like, this is so boring. Like, am I like, have I just like lost my authorial voice or what happened? And so. Then finally I kind of figured out, I was like, I just have to pretend in my universe that I don't have like a loving, wonderful, super supportive husband and therefore like figure out what I would do and what I would be writing if I didn't have that. So I have to like go to like a weird space where like I pretend my husband doesn't exist in order to like find conflict again. Um, and so after I learned how to do that, that was when I decided like I had started like 10 novels and 
I'd get 10,000 words in and then I'd quit because I would run out of steam somehow. And I was like, you know, I just really need to batten down and finish one. And if I was going to finish one novel, I wanted it to be this theater story that I've been waiting to read my entire life. And so that's what I did. And much like my first play, like it really just like when you get the bug after that, there's no going back. And so ever since then, I've really enjoyed writing and I'm really excited about writing new things and exploring other, you know, aspects of like culture that I find interesting. What kind of process do you follow? Are you a plotter or a pantser? Sounds like you're a plotter based on the outline you talked about for the role. I mean, it what like well, the problem was I wrote this outline and then about twenty percent of it made it. <laughs> um, I have that thing where like I had these characters in mind, and after I had a really strong like after first fifty pages, I really know my main characters really really well. Like I've got their voice, I've got their motivations, I've got all of that stuff. Um, and then they just took me to places I did not know I was going to go. And then I felt like they were leading me on the right track. And so I often abandon outlines, um, but I'm always happy to have them just because I'm like, well, if I get really lost, then like, that's good. But most of the time I don't make an, I like generally have an idea of a beginning and an end and the middle of it is always up for grabs. And, uh, the, however, my newest project, like I wrote an outline in like, you know, an hour It all just kind of like hit me all at once. And I was like, well, great. If I get lost, at least I know what I'm doing, but, uh, I don't ever kind of like keep it up when I'm writing. I like have written it down therefore it's kind of internalized. And then I just let my characters kind of take me where they want to go. And if they don't know where they want to go, I know exactly where I want them to go, but uh, other than that, yeah. So I have like a rough plot outline, but I'm always very jealous of people who like can write out an outline and then just follow it. I'm always like, oh, I wish I could do that. I would get so much more writing done if I could just do that. But then like some random thought will like flood into my brain and I'll think, oh, well, this must be what my character is telling me. And then we'll go to like this random place that I didn't know that I was going to go to. And then it was like, oh, that actually really works really well. Oh, okay, so now, how do I fix this? Okay, uh, all right, there, yes, let's go, and then I'll get on track. So this makes me, that answer makes me have to ask a question about uh, Kevin. How much did he deviate, potentially, from your outline? Because no other character in the book seems to boomerang around so much in terms of how, in terms of behavior um, through the novel. Um, actually, Kevin was pretty close to the outline. Wow, uh, okay. Because, um, people who are exceptionally good at what they do, who, and in the theater world and in the acting world, good actors are often exceptionally good looking. And when you are exceptionally good looking, you live a life that many people do not know. Uh, in 30 Rock, like, John Hamm lives in the bubble, and, like, he has all of these funny jokes where, like, you know, he doesn't know how to play tennis, but because he looks good doing it, like, people are like, you get lessons, kind of a thing. And um, that is kind of what Kevin's life is like. Like, Kevin had, and I've met people like that, and I've shared a stage with those people, and they are both absolutely inspiring and wonderful to be around 
but then you see what they are like off stage and you just like you're like what like you are so hard to like pin down and so uh no kevin definitely like he is you're right he boomerangs everywhere and his behavior is slightly erratic and it's because he kind of can get away with that because he's never had anyone to tell him no and he's been fortunate enough to be pretty enough and talented enough that it's always worked out for him. Interesting. So who are your author inspirations? Oh, um, well, my very first, like the, when I recently, like the first time I came out, someone handed me David Levitt's The Lost Language of Cranes, and that book made me think, like, I can tell the kind of story that I always wanted to tell. So uh, I always like credit him as like an early as, as an early inspiration, um, and uh, there are a lot of them. Uh, but really, the ones that really made a big impact were David Levitt, Edmund White, David Levithan, um, and uh, oh gosh, what is the woman who wrote The Hunger Games? I always think her name is uh, Suzette Collins. Suzanne Collins, thank you. Um, I get her and the woman who wrote uh, Jonathan Strange confused in my head for some reason. Um, she really opened my eyes because she wrote such a very like compelling book written in first person present tense. And I loathe describing anything. And so when you write in that voice and that voice style, you can get away with perhaps not describing so many things and I was like oh this is the way that I can tell this story and so I always credit her for like showing me that it can be done and how to do it well um, and you know I've read those books you know over and over and over again just to kind of get that style and understand like where and when to place detail and when and where I can get away with not doing it <laughs> so you've got a, a, an appearance coming up uh, at the I Bureau, um, who are friends of our podcast. Uh, tell us a little bit I about that. I interviewed him. I was like, oh, they're so they're such lovely people. And yes, they are. It's, it is, you know, when I heard that we didn't have a queer bookstore in New York City, I was like, why did I move to New York City? Like, that's supposed to always be here, like, kind of a thing. And I'm so glad when they brought it back. And it's actually a really lovely space. I've always really enjoyed it. I always encourage people to go. I encourage people to just go to the Gay and Lesbian Center in New York City. It is this amazing resource. And for the first year that I was here, I just didn't really understand what it did or what it was like. And I, you know, I'm like, I should have just gone, like, my first day in the city. Because there's so much going on there. And it's such a lovely space and a wonderful thing. And I'm doing a reading and interview with one of your favorite authors, uh, Joe Aconquo, uh, who wrote um, Jazz Moon, which I'm so glad that you loved. And I'm still in the middle of it because I'm a slow reader, but I'm loving every minute of it. it yeah, is it's such amazing. Beautiful, beautiful book. Yeah, Joe will be on the show in a few weeks, too. Oh, good. I'm glad. He is an absolute delight. Uh, when I met him, like we just got along on you know so many levels because he used to also be an actor. So, like, we had a lot in common. Also, he also lived in Houston, which I lived in there for a while. So we just had, like, a lot of really fun, crazy connections. And that's June 8th, right? It is June 8th. So if you are in the New York City area, I 
really, really implore you to come visit because it is going to be one of those amazing nights. I think the conversation and the, you know, very interesting, like our books do not on like the surface have a lot to do with each other, but when you're reading them and if you kind of look at them as a, you know, tandem text, it's very interesting. And I think that will really be a fun night. There's interesting connections there because when when Joe first reached out, I think you put him in touch with us. Um, he yeah. mentioned that you yeah. guys were doing that uh, event, and it's like as I thought about it, and I got into reading Jazz Moon, I'm like, I, I see how this there's a connectivity there. There is, and like I really am so excited, and I think that you know. As much as I love talking about myself, um, I'm really excited to like get to talk, you know, to him about like his process and like asking how he handled the same things that I did. Um, and so like I just think that because he did them very differently, and so and I love it. Like I'm just like, oh, this is the reason why I love writing about art and about theater and things like that because there's so many ways to do the same thing, and yet we all do it very differently and. You know, Joe is a master. Like it was just absolutely lovely. So, what's coming up next for you? What are you working on these days? Um. Well, I have two books in the works. Um. I have a kitchen-based kind of more traditional romance. Uh. That I am hoping that I will get to possibly sooner because I had one of those moments where the whole plot of it just kind of threw itself into my brain all at once. So I was like, oh, I thought I was working on this other novel. Uh, and my other project is about gamer culture, and that's gamer with a Y. Um, and, you know, because I love video games and always have. And, like, when I found out, like, that there are tons of people who love video games, I'm like, where were, you, where were my people when I was in the 80s and playing Nintendo? Um, but, like, now that, like, you know, you can play online games, you can do all sorts of stuff, there's all this really, really great, you know, stuff, and like you can go on these adventures with people, uh, you know, on your computer, and it just sounds, it's just such a wonderful, crazy thing, and it, you know, was a, especially gamer culture in general uh, is so uh, masculine dominated, uh, like the whole gamergate thing, and so like I love that there is this pocket of like very accepting, loving, wonderful people, all of whom, you know just are always, we always just kind of wanted to go on adventures together, and now we can, and I think that it is such a wonderful thing. Are you going to let Mason's boyfriend show up in that book since he designs games? (laughs) (laughs) Both Mason and Eric uh, will show up in probably any book that takes place in my, like, kind of hyper New York universe. Awesome. uh, And look ways. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, you know, whether or not it's, like, the Tony Awards where, like, you know, Mason and Eric are, like, you know, guests or possibly winning or whatever, like, will be on in the background. Or, you know, yeah, Eric, like, will be designing a game and, you know, that kind of a thing. I think that it's fun to have those little pockets for, you know, readers. That way, you know, they can be like, oh, that's that person. And then, like, if you don't know, if my gamer book is the first one you pick up then, you know, it doesn't really matter. But um, but I love doing that. I think that that's a lot of fun, man. I hope to, like, because I love those characters so much that I hope that they and some of the other supporting characters can show up in many things. Um, I like kind of building a, a world in which that is a possibility. Awesome. 
So where can folks find you online to keep up with everything? Uh, well, you can go to my website, which is richardtpearson.com. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I am author RTP, which is kind of odd because there's two R's right next to each other. But um, all of the good ones were taken. Uh, and uh, so those are the two best ways to find me. Um, my website will point you to Facebook or Twitter or anything else like that. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. So we thank Richard for stopping by to talk to us about his book. Uh, we talked far more than what was in that interview, actually, because we're both theater geeks and we just kept going. Um, so there's bonus material this week. Uh, if you check out the podcast feed or YouTube, uh, you'll find the bonus track where Richard and I talk about how long it took him to write the book, what his theater friends actually think of the book, and we do some theater talk ahead of the Tony Awards, which are coming up on June 12th as well. Um, so check it out in the feed in those spots. Plus, if you're in New York City on Wednesday, June 8th, as he mentioned, he's doing a, an event alongside Joe Oconquo, uh, who wrote Jazz Moon. Uh, they're going to appear together at the Bureau of General Services Queer Division um, in the LGBT Center on 13th Street for a, an event called From Harlem to Broadway, a reading and conversation with two New York City novelists. I know if I were in the city, I would be there for sure. Uh, so check that out if you're there. Cool, that sounds fun. I, I wish we could go to that. I do too. <laughs> that sounds like fun. I talked to Joe the day after the event, so I'll find out all about it. Awesome. <laughs> I talked to him then. Very cool. Okay. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, coming up next week in episode number 36, we have voice artist Derek McLean. He's going to join us to talk about how he got started in audiobooks. Plus, we've got Jenna Scott. She'll be here as part of the 2016 GRL Blog Tour. Awesome. Sounds like a good episode. Yeah, I can't wait. Can't wait to be there next week. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. New episodes are available every Monday at iTunes and other major podcast outlets. While there, subscribe to the show and please consider leaving a review. For detailed show notes, links, and to sign up for the monthly newsletter, visit BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Hold up. 